Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us. This is the American Riviera Bank Regional Pulse. And I am Joanne Finari, Executive Vice President, Chief Operating Officer of American Riviera Bank. And I have the good fortune, the very good fortune of being here with Mr. Doug Mardrum, who is a man that has been through so much and has an incredible history. Um, and he's also on the board of directors, by the way, of American Riviera Bank. Uh, I met Doug back in... 1991, when he owned and operated the Wine Cask Restaurant, uh, which was a very, very fine dining restaurant. It was one of, voted one of the top uh, restaurants in the world. And um, at that time, he had served, he had catered, oh, uh, Ronald Reagan. He's catered Bill Clinton uh, in private parties. And then um, he sold the wine cask, and you moved into winemaking. And I want—it's so interesting. And and you've become such an amazing. His wines have been served to President Obama. You have been everywhere. Your wines are Wine Spectator, just wines of the year. I mean, they're amazing. How did you? What made you do all this? Um, <laughs> I think the midlife crisis, <laughs> instead of getting the, uh, the, the Porsche, I decided to start a small winery uh, in, my, in, my, in, a, in a time when most people don't make a career change. Um, the sale of the restaurant, um, y you know, it's, it's, we, ran, we, ran a, we had a good run. We started in 1981, and I sold it in 2007. And it's a very uh, exacting business, as is, as is winemaking, um, but it's not a legacy business. Uh, I couldn't see leaving the, that restaurant to my children uh, because that would, they would probably hate me for the rest of their lives. Uh, it's a trying, uh, difficult uh, business, especially at the level we were operating with, the, with the, the fine dining element that we were working with. And so, um, I had to make a decision. I'd started the winery in 2001, and I was producing wine, and I also had the restaurant at the same time, and it was it was literally too much. Too much, and I decided uh, to sell the restaurant and concentrate uh, full time on making wine and uh, spending more time with my children. Oh, terrific! Yeah. And now you, so tell me about the wines that you you have a, a number of varietals. Uh, and their um, M5 is my favorite, my personal yeah. favorite. M5 is sort of the flagship wine for us. Yeah, yes. Um, tell us about some of the varietals that you have and, well, I had had and how that evolved, because it, it did evolve. It, it was a really easy process. I, my, uh, some of my favorite wines that I used in the restaurant and were my sort of go-to wines uh, I love really dry, crisp, light Sauvignon Blanc. Mm -hmm. And uh, Fred Brander, uh, who was one of the winemakers I admired most in that category, and I asked Fred when I wanted to start making wine if I could make wine in his winery. And he said no, but what you can do is, is you can carve out a little space behind my winery, and there's a little pad back there, and, and uh, no one will even know you're there. Uh, and uh, you could make wine back there, which is what I did. I had a 240-foot space 
with an exit door that went to the south out to the Brander actual vineyards. And uh, I started making uh, Sauvignon Blanc because Fred was a great mentor in, this, in the Sauvignon Blanc uh, category. And um, the other wine I absolutely loved uh, was Chateauneuf de Pop, which is a red Rhone blend. It's Grenache based. Uh, so even though these are sort of not uh, from the same regions in France, uh, the Sauvignon Blanc style I was making would be emulating a Loire Valley style of wine. Uh, but then I wanted to make sort of a southern Rhone uh, red and then a northern Rhone 100% Syrah. And so that's what I started doing. I'm making Sauvignon Blanc and then two, two red, red Rhone wines, uh, uh, M5 red and then uh, single vineyard Syrah. And that's what I still do now in our 19th vintage. Uh, we still make those wines. Of course, it has expanded the repertoire because right. now we've, we've added uh, uh, a Grenache Rosé to the equation. We've added um, uh, an M5 White, which is a white blend, which is also five uh, white Rhone varietals, Grenache Blanc based with Marsan Roussan. I have not tried that yet. It is, it, I it, will be it, down it, at your tasting room. We are just released our fourth vintage of that wine off of our uh, organically grown estate vineyard, which we developed about five years ago. Uh, the first year for that wine, uh, it was on the cover of the Wine Spectator. The second year was in the top 100, and then the third wow. year it sold out. You know, w before we even released it, and now we're finally making enough that we actually have it around. So we've we haven't ever had enough of the wine around to sell it to you, but now it's available in our tasting room, and, and ah. uh, we we've up, we're up to about 1,700 cases on that wine, all from all from the estate, and it's all barrel fermented. It's a really uh, really top top wine. So that's that's a that's probably the newest. Uh, uh, addition to the to the mix of wines that Marjorie makes. That's amazing. That's okay. and, and you just and you just opened your new tasting room. Yes. Down by Hotel Californian. Correct. Right. So we um, we had always uh, quite quite frankly uh, I, I I had no tasting room for the first 12 years. Uh, oh, I didn't realize nope. that. We just had the winery. It was not open to the public. Okay. Um, we uh, I, I I after the restaurant uh, I, I was looking just to have a simpler life and to make wine, and I sold 95% of my wine through distributors uh, throughout uh, the United States, mostly California, and also to Japan. Um, and that afforded some really neat travel. Um, but I, I really didn't want to necessarily open a tasting room. Um, after I had sold the wine cask, the, um, the new the second new owners uh, asked me if I would uh, run a tasting room within the wine cask mm -hmm. uh, as to help increase foot traffic down down there. And they had a, a private dining room that was not utilized during the day. Yes, I remember and that. And so it made a lot yeah. of sense. And uh, so we opened a marjoram tasting room. Then I convinced my friend Jim Clendenin, also one of my mentors, to open the Obon Climat tasting room right across the, the hallway in El Paseo. And so we, we created this sort of nice dynamic in El Paseo with all these tasting rooms opening up into that, uh, into that beautiful space. Yeah. Uh, and it turned out to be uh, a, a good idea. Uh, mm -hmm. Selling wine uh, direct to consumer, uh, obviously you, you, make, uh, you make friends and you know people and you make customers and they, we have a wine club and the people who join the wine club could come to the winery, which was never available to come to. And, you know, we do, you know, 
picnics and barbecues, yeah. and we do picnics and barbecues at the at the vineyard now. And so it's just just a different relationship in in how we were selling our wine. And quite dramatically, since the seven years since we uh, opened that tasting room, and now have expanded to the new tasting room in Hotel California, our direct consumer sales are about seventy five percent, and our distributor sales are twenty five percent. Wow! Which has allowed the winery to uh, to grow uh, quite a bit in those yeah. in those last seven years. And and I'm actually a big believer in in growing a business. Um, I think if you ask people to come in and, and work for you and, and dedicate part of their life and, and their energy and their emotion to your business, you have to offer them opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so we've had a really good group of people who have worked with me for a long, long time who have benefited from our growth and, and been able to take on higher, uh, you know, in the, my, my assistant winemaker who I hired uh, in, in 2009 is now the winemaker, and I've taken a oh, I've taken a great. step back to allow him to be the winemaker. He's he's great, and and uh, uh, it's it's in that that's the story of many of the employees. If yeah. you don't grow a business like like that, you you can't offer people uh, economic uh, opportunities that they've mm -hmm. all been able to uh, been able to achieve. So quite, yeah, quite proud that's of, terrific. Quite and proud they're, of that. They're loyal. Yep. They're committed. Yeah, so, good group great. of people. But the the tasting room. At the Hotel California, is, I think it's unlike any tasting room in, in Santa Barbara. Uh, you walk into that space, and it's very, very dramatic with the mezzanine, and uh, we're one of the few tasting rooms that has a kitchen, uh, so we offer light fare as well. Uh, so we can also do uh, lunches and dinners and events there uh, with our wine uh, accompanied by appropriate uh, food. And uh, so it's been a, it's, that's been a big, big a game changer. The, the business model is, is uh, silly. Uh, my my silly. Well, no, I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm telling you a silly aspect of the business model. Okay. Every time I check into a hotel, they tell me my room isn't ready. Uh, you know, because you, you drive up from LA, and we're going to go to the Hotel California. Your room's never going to be ready at 11 o'clock. That just doesn't make sense. But you go to check in the hotel, and they say, "Oh, your room's not ready." But if you'd like, right across the street is this beautiful tasting room. You get a little bite to eat, have a glass of wine, and then Great come, come back when the, yeah, it's the right demographic for the hotel. And people come in and uh, they say, oh, you know, let's try your Chardonnay. And of course, marjoram does not make a Chardonnay. Right. And then they go, okay, well, then we'll try your Pinot Noir. Well, of course, we don't make a Pinot yeah, Noir. Nope. And then they'll settle for Cabernet Sauvignon. And we're like, well, yeah, we don't make that either. And then they try these very interesting Grenache Rosé yes. and Grenache White blends and Grenache Red blends and Syrahs. And these are wines that a lot of people really haven't been exposed to. And they're, they're, it's the light bulb over the, the head experience. And they go, wow, you know, these wines are really good. They go great with food. They really like them. They're, they're fairly priced. And we've made a new customer who uh, walks See, out with wine and, and becomes a customer of ours for you know, years, years to come. So that, that's oh, not really it. the business model. I'm sort of kidding. No, but it's, but, but, it's, but it, we're, it getting, we're getting a lot of new people. Yeah, exactly. A lot yeah. of new people coming in who wouldn't have known about us or been able to discover our wines unless we were right, right there. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, it's really nice. And I know the train comes up with everybody from L.A. Yeah, at a that, certain time, it, and they all get out. Yep. They all hang out over there. Yep. The and train, then they get back on the train. Yeah, the train it's has awesome. been fantastic. I've been big a big promoter of the train, yeah. and uh, uh, we've uh, done a lot of outreach for opening this new tasting room and encouraging people to not only take the train up, but to take the train back to San Diego. Even you mm -hmm. can buy a bottle of wine, you can get a little picnic uh, lunch. 
you, you are not stressed by driving on the freeway, and it's a beautiful ride, and, I'm, I'm, and the train has just been a huge, uh, we know when it, it, when it lands on a, on a Saturday, there's a whole bunch of new people jumping <laughs> off the train and walking over and, yes. and trying the wines and getting a little yeah. bite to eat. And we have a little Super. patio out front too, which is extremely comfortable. And um, no, it's, it's, been a, it's, it's been a game changer for us as far as uh, the ability to attract new customers to our brand. Oh, that's great. So you're open, to, you're open tonight, right? Oh yeah. Tasting room? Oh yeah. Okay, Jason Wilson and I are meeting tonight, okay. so we're gonna go there. <laughs> Great, <laughs> Love perfect. It. Yeah, we're open late too, and we uh, were able to be open very, very late, which a lot of tasting rooms are not. So if someone wants to do a, a employee party or a Christmas party, we can, most tasting rooms in Santa Barbara ha are, have a, a conditional use permit uh, where they have to close at eight or nine. Mm -hmm. uh, since we're part of the hotel, uh, we don't. We're not restricted by our closing time, That's so we can. You can do a party late into the night and have a not be kicked out at eight o'clock. Oh um, my goodness! And so that's been a big benefit of, of of being with the hotel. That's great. Yeah. that is great. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit more about what's happening in the in the San Ynez Valley. What's 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 going on with, um, well, not just the San Ynez Valley, but up in Paso, just the wine industry in, in California uh, with the purchase of uh, Constellation Wines by Gallo. And that's been, I mean, they, Gallo grabbed a number of brands. I mean, is yeah. there anything that you want to tell us about that? Is there anything? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of con change? consolidation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's been consolidation in, in the, the winery. Wineries being mm -hmm. picked up by larger. Uh, it's the same thing that's happening in the beer business. The smaller, craftier yeah, uh, breweries are being picked up by larger uh, concerns. And the same thing is happening in Santa Barbara, both with Constellation and with um, uh, Kendall Jackson. These are actually pretty good players. Um, they 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 bring you know they bring a lot to our our, our community. Uh, you know my my friend Greg Brewer sold uh, Brewer Clifton to uh, Kendall Jackson. Um, it's enabled him to you know <laughs> be a lot more relaxed and not worrying about his <laughs> whether his, his where his next nickel is coming from because they uh, are, have the funds to allow him to really make wines at the at the level he wants to make those wines at. And uh, Kendall Jackson, you know, is helping to promote Santa Barbara, and that's what we we really need. With with how we started with a lot of small wineries, and not uh, it was it was really difficult to uh, promote Santa Barbara as a as a wine region. And Paso Robles has done an incredible job of promoting yes. uh, promoting their region. You know, quite frankly, uh, if you were to look just at it as a purely economic situation, grapes grown in Santa Barbara County sell for a lot more money than grapes grown in Paso Robles. Mm -hmm. Santa Barbara County is a very cold growing climate, uh, so it's, it makes for a very unique style of wine, where Paso tends to be quite a bit warmer. They can yes. grow Cabernet and Zinfandel, but some of the cold climate varietals that we produce down here in Santa Barbara County just don't 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 work up there except in a few microclimates. Obviously, there's there's always exceptions to the rule, but um, you know we you know we always felt so superior to Paso Robles mm -hmm. uh, because you know we were Santa Barbara. Yes, and we had the soils, we yes. had the climate, uh, and and we, we were able to grow the grapes that are the most uh, you know sought after, especially Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Uh, and let me just step back. I, I do make Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, just not under the marjoram brand. 
We have another brand, uh, which is called Barden, which is my yes. middle name. I, I, and, yes. And the old marjoram tasting room in El Paseo mm -hmm. is now the Barden tasting room. So we've we bifurcated those two brands and, and have separated them uh, because it was very confusing for people to come in and say, well, well this is marjoram. What's Barden? No, that's Doug's middle name. Uh, uh, okay. But it's it's a it's a whole separate, uh, it's quarter, sort of what we call a couture brand. Uh, it's uh, very, very small lots of, of very uh, uh, high quality uh, wines grown exclusively in Santa Rita Hills. And Santa Rita Hills is the region that's uh, pretty much just west of Buellton, where mm -hmm. primarily Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are grown, but there's also cold climate, Viognier and Grenache and Syrah. And so Barden has a whole repertoire of, of wines that uh, we produce from purchased grapes from from Santa Rita Hills, and uh, it's it's a very uh, a very high level of uh, of production uh, with with those wines. So it's okay. it's we're marjoram. I think quite obviously we have a uh, we have some very pricey wines as well. Some of the single vineyard mm -hmm. Syrahs and some of the estate Syrah, but for the most part, I think marjoram. Is a is a really good value uh, yes, line of wines. You know the the rosé and the Sauvignon Blanc and the M5 White and the M5 Red are all priced in the in the twenty dollars, low twenty dollars, and uh, they're served in our in our community, especially a lot by the glass and a lot of the different restaurants in in, in town. Yes. So those are those are good value wines. Where 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 Barden is a good value, but you're just dealing with with grape costs that are so much higher. Higher. Yeah. Uh, just the, the secret. The secret to pricing wine is, you know, why you, you wonder why there's a $5 wine and why there's a $50 wine. Well, if the grapes sell for or cost $500 a ton to produce, which you can do in the Central Valley because you've got a lot of water and you can, you can put a huge amount of acreage on a flat, fertile soil, uh, you can produce grapes for $500 a ton, so that yields a $5 wine. In Santa Rita Hills, you know, you're talking about grapes selling for $4,800 to $6,000 a ton. Ah. Just right off the bat, that's a $48 wow. to $60 wine. That's how we price, that's how we generally price wine. Obviously, there's a lot of other factors, the barrels and the, the winemaking techniques and how much how much fractions you actually put into the final, final bottling. But overall, that's why there's this huge discrepancy of pricing of wine, but it's, mm -hmm. it, but it's generally a, a quality issue of, of yes. grapes grown in the Central Valley where it's extremely hot on fertile soil will not make a $50 wine right. ever. Uh, and right. you certainly couldn't grow Pinot Noir in the Central Valley with any success at all. Um, so there's there's reasons behind the pricing, but uh, the Barden wines range from uh, $28 to $82 a bottle. Okay. Um, but your question really was, what's going on in Santa Barbara County? Well, yeah. Uh, and uh, and yeah. We, we mainly focus in Santa Barbara County only. I don't know if you ever watched Entourage. Yes. You remember yes. how they would never yes. go to the Valley? Yes. Uh, we never go to Paso Robles. It's just too far away for us. And it's, it's such a different climate and such a different world. And it's not part of our thing. So yeah. when, when I talk about uh, wine in my, in my, what I know about it, I'll, I'll only talk about Santa Barbara County. That being said, I mean, there's some great producers in Paso Robles who mm -hmm. I, I greatly admire. Uh, but for the most part, I think from a just overall, uh, if you're looking for cold climate grape varieties and wines with mm -hmm. lower alcohol, higher acid, a little bit more verve, mm -hmm. Santa Barbara County is that is that place. And that is where the pendulum is swinging. Yes. Uh, the, these highly extracted, rich, sweet, alcoholic wines uh, which you know have garnered some of the highest scores in the in the in the critics world, are not wines you generally want to drink 
uh, on a daily basis because they're just they overwhelm food and they they, yes. they don't age well and so the pendulum is swinging and people are looking for lower alcohol, uh, less extracted, higher acid crisper, cleaner wines that they can drink, especially in this climate in Santa yes. Barbara County. You know, oh, you don't, yes. Unless you're eating braised short rib every single night of your life, you can't drink those big, <laughs> big wines. You know, if you're having, sitting outside and you're having, you know, fish from the, from the, from the harbor, you don't want to drink a big, fat, buttery Chardonnay. You want to no. drink something that's lean and crisp and delicate yes. to enhance, enhance the food. Yeah. So Santa Barbara County has that going for it. The thing that has really helped define, uh, the area has been the the new AVAs, which are American Viticultural Area appellations that have been given to certain regions within, mainly within the San Inez Valley, defining which areas are 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 are, are microclimate specific. Okay, that's so, I wanted yeah. to ask you about that. Too, so there's Santa Rita what, Hills, I, which I, is I didn't yeah, understand that. That's okay. so Santa Rita Hills is Buellton pretty much west. And once you, you once you turn left, uh, you you go west from from Buellton. It's a completely and dramatically different climate than than you, even when you get to Solvang. And so that that area has been defined by its soil and its and its temperature coefficients and 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 what grapes can grow there successfully. And so Santa Rita Hills is is primarily for you know Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and cold climate Syrah. And then when you move to the next area a little bit further east, you get Ballard Canyon. And Ballard Canyon is, uh, uh, it's not adjacent to Santa Rita Hills, uh, but it's the, the next, next appellation. It starts right at, uh, right at the end of, of, of the city of Buellton and then goes all the way to Alamo Pintado Road, just about. Okay. And that's uh, known for, mainly for Syrah. Okay. For, so more their Northern Rhone style wines. Then the next appellation after that is the Los Olivos District which goes all the way to the next, next AVA, which is Happy Canyon of Santa Barbara. Oh, okay. So they're all yes. contiguous. There's a little strip between uh, Buellton and uh, the end of Buellton, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, where there's no, the Appalachian remains the Santa Inez Valley. But the, uh, the, the, the Los Livos district, which is right next to Ballard, has been sort of identified as a Rhone varietal uh, district. Uh, it's where our estate vineyard is. We have 19 acres planted to 10 different Rhone varietals and five different clones of Syrah. Uh, and that's wow. where, that's been probably the biggest change in, in, in the marjoram brand. And the biggest increase in quality for us is to be able to have our own state vineyard where we're organically growing the grapes and we can, instead of running all over Santa Barbara that's County great. and you know, buying grapes from different people, we, we have a, 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 an almost 19 acre parcel with, with grapes that we grow for our estate. Uh, and that's, that's and the quality has just taken a huge jump for us uh, because of because of that. And the Los Olivos district again uh, was was put forth by Fred Brander. He he did the apl okay. applica application, and um, uh, and then when you after that there's a mesa, right where Happy Canyon starts, and there's a mm -hmm. completely different um, uh, watershed uh, when you get into Happy Canyon. The soils are completely different. The climate is completely different. And so it, it's, if you really want to geek out on it, mm -hmm. you can go to the TTB website and look at the application for all these different uh, uh, AVAs that have been developed with, within Santa Barbara County. That's so interesting. And they give you, they give you great yeah, detail on it. nothing you know, about that. And it's, it's, it, but Happy Canyon was a very important AVA because that is the one place that's warm enough 
in in Santa Barbara County to to uh, grow Bordeaux varietals like Cabernet Sauvignon, ah. Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, and Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. So I was very interested in the Happy Canyon AVA because I make all my Sauvignon Blanc is from Happy Canyon. And okay. So that's our that's our Sauvignon Blanc. The Sybarite Sauvignon Blanc is our biggest uh, production wine that we make, mm. and it all comes from from Happy Canyon. Ah. And. Uh, it's a good, it's a really great place for growing Sauvignon Blanc you, and, and, Bordeaux, and red Bordeaux varietals as well. You get actual physiologi physiological maturity in the grape without a lot of uh, uh, potential alcohol, without a lot of sugar. And it, I describe it as, you know, oh, when I you go that. to the market or you go to the farmer's market and you, you touch that nectarine and it just has that night, that perfect amount of elasticity. Yes. And then you smell it and it smells just beautiful. You, you then just, you bite into it and it drips, but it's fresh. Yes. And you, we've all had it when it's not right, when it's green and hard, it's just terrible. And then when it's too ripe, it's the exact same thing with grapes. When it's, wow. when it's perfect, you can just, you know it, you touch it, you taste it. it it just it, you know when it's ready, and it, oh. to have that that grape be ripe uh, without uh, having thirteen or fourteen percent alcohol is just a huge win, uh, and that's the beauty of of, of Santa Barbara oh, County and all so the regions. Oh, great! Oh my gosh, I can't. I want to go. I want to go wine tasting right now. <laughs> well, let let me ask you a question d d tying into Santa Barbara County. Um, when we had the mudslides and the, and the fire, the Thomas fire. Are we still feeling the effects of that? Or do you think we're coming out of that? It's interesting, when I travel and sell wine, people uh, know about the event. Uh, obviously it happened in dormancy for the vineyards, so there was no effects uh, for that. And it was far enough away from the most of the production facilities that there was no uh, adverse effects to the wine. Obviously, as we all know, there's hugely yes. adverse effects to our to our community. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, it, you know, I know my neighbors much better now than I, I did before. Yes. Uh, and Montecito uh, is has has really rebounded, I think, terrifically. And you I were think, rescued by a helicopter. No, we actually yeah. couldn't get out by the helicopter oh, because um, they stopped taking um, they stopped taking dogs. So oh we had to spend God. another night and oh we hiked back up to our, our house and, and uh, through the mud and, and debris. And, um, and I, I'm, you know, ridiculously, we'd been up all night the night before and then up all that day. And I, I slept, but my wife uh, did not sleep for a whole completely another night. Um, we built a fire and just uh, uh, hung out for an another night. We were able to get out the next day. We were actually able to... Um, a drive out. Uh, we, wow. we, they had cleared the roads for the rescue to come in, and w we were we were literally we had packed up our bags and we're, we were going to walk out with the dog. Yeah. And uh, one of the probably one of the, the the best players that we dealt with in the fire department was a woman named Maeve, a captain at the Montecito Fire Department, and she was just she was terrific. And she said, "Hey, you know what?" We'll we'll escort you out, and so we went back oh. and got our cars, and we were able to uh, we were able to drive out uh, that two days later. Wow! <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, it was a crazy time, but uh, but you you know right now, uh, I don't know what the convergence is, but Santa Barbara is so hot as a tourist destination right now; it's unbelievable. I mean, the New York Times just did a three days in Santa Barbara. 
uh, I, I know oh, Condé Nast Traveler has yes. recommended Santa Barbara and, and all the new energy with all the new hotels too. Yes. You know, with uh, the Miramar opening yes. and the Californian opening yes. and uh, uh, with the Studio Ranch, of course, reopening and then with LVMH buying uh, El Encanto, which promises great things for El Encanto. Um, there's just a lot of energy and, uh, you know, th things are really good in in for Santa Barbara right now from, from that standpoint. People want to come here. People still dream to live here. Yes. And um, yeah. obviously that was a once in a hundred year uh, thing uh, that happened. And right. I have, I, you know, the, the, the work that has been done uh, in the, in the, in the, in the creek beds and in the, in the yeah. hills surrounding us, I, we, we have, it's, it, it might happen again in a hundred years, but it's not. But you feel happen. comfortable. Oh, yeah, we right feel now. very, very yes. comfortable. We've, yeah. we've actually moved back into our house and and are happy to be home. And uh, we still have work to do, um, but we're we're back living there and as our neighbors. And um, everyone's rebuilding that can. Mm -hmm. And obviously, there's areas that they're not going to. Uh, the area right below us, Randall Road. Yeah. Um, it looks like they're going to make a debris basin out of that, so to further protect the the areas down below. Mm -hmm. But. Um, we should have evacuated, I and mean, you should listen to your. Yes. We had. We had. Uh, we there's had been. A, there's a lesson learned. Right. Lesson yes. learned. Uh, yes. You know, obviously, most of the uh, uh, deaths were in, a, in the voluntary uh, evacuation zone. We were in the mandatory evacuation zone, but we had been back. Just um, we had literally come back home that day after being out of our house for a month because of the because fire. Because of the fire. We had so much smoke damage and so many places where the fire burned into our property that you know the, the remediation would took so long that we finally got back into our house and and it wasn't like fire you know fire they came by and like pounded on the door like get out and like we could yeah. see it coming and so you know yes. it was it was a You're scary out. time with with this it was like you know you might want to think about leaving and it was a gentle knock it wasn't yeah. quite the panic because yeah. uh, i don't think anyone really realized how, how horrible no. that, that no. was going to be no yeah. we've never experienced no it was like just that. uh it was a. Uh, that doesn't happen. You don't have a you don't have a rain you don't have a rainstorm of a, a epic proportions of that happen magnitude. The, the, the just a short short while after the fire, right. and it just it's, right. this was a perfect storm, as they say. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm glad that everybody's okay, and I'm glad you're back in your house, and yeah. and we're very thankful that you're back. And we're very thankful that you're back making wine. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, I let me let me ask you one more thing, um, and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna ask you if there's anything else that you want to talk about. But um, have the tariffs, the recent tariffs? Now you you mentioned that at one time you were selling wines to Japan, mm -hmm. and um, but ha have the recent tariffs done anything? to the wine industry? I mean, is there anything that, that's impacting you dramatically or impacting the industry as a whole? Uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the money that we've had to pay um, on our glass bills primarily, you know, I'd be, I'd be happy to buy glass in America. There is no, wine, wine bottle glasses are just not produced in the U.S. It's not, doesn't exist anymore. It's almost oh, wow, all from China. Um, so we buy our, most of our glass for our wine bottles from China and have for years. Um, there is some manufacturing in Mexico, but it's never met the specifications that we require from a quality standpoint. Um, the quality of the glass we've been buying from, uh, from our American distributor uh, that comes from China has been, has been great. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the new tariffs have uh, 
cost us a tremendous amount of money. Uh, they were, I think the first bills were about nine, nine percent. So there was a little give. It wasn't, it wasn't the full 10% uh, tariff you put on initially. Uh, but the, um, no, the, the invoice is pretty clear. There's a, uh, a line, which is what the glass costs. And then there's a line, which is the tariff, uh, oh which, gosh. which we pay. Uh, the, 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 the idea that China is paying for this tariff is, is absurd. Anyone who, who buys products from China that are within that, uh, within that category, we write a huge check. And, um, you know, we're very reluctant to pass that along right now. Uh, it just bites into our bottom line mm -hmm. um, because I don't think it's a good time to raise prices right now. I mean, we're very tempted to, mm -hmm. but that's a big, big check to write. We buy... Yeah. You know, we just we buy between uh, one hundred and fifty and two hundred thousand dollars worth of glass uh, a year to do our various bottlings, and you add on which the last one was about eighteen, I think it was eighteen nine or eighteen eight percent. You do the math, you can see what a cost uh, that is is costing us uh, to oh do that. Oh my gosh! We don't export to China, wow. luckily, but the people who are exporting to China, are, that market has just been completely uh, stopped. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of our friends who export to China. Um, but yeah, so no, it's, uh, it's, I don't, I, I got a degree in economics from uh, UC Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. um, ev everyone knows that yeah. <laughs> trade wars are, are bad and, and tariffs are, are bad. And mm -hmm. if you can encourage free trade as much as possible, it's good. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, not, not a political statement whatsoever, but the, the, uh, the tariffs had, have really hit us in a big way as far as it hurts just, everybody. Just actual, really actual dollars, yeah. and we haven't hurt other people. Obviously, everyone has to raise their prices at some point because you have yes. to. you have to you have make, to make it, it up, up. Make it up somehow. Absolutely. Uh, we, to this point, we've eaten it, um, mm -hmm. and in the hope that uh, it will stop. There's a solution, <laughs> a resolution. It doesn't soon. seem like it's stopping anytime soon, but uh, you know, the next go around will be spring of 2020 when we'll have to start buying glass again, mm -hmm. and you just can't up. You can't start a glass manufacturing business that quickly in the U.S., nor would you, because once the tariffs come off, then then uh, your the business will go back to back yeah. to where they do produce glass. So it's a it's a definitely a, not a beneficial thing. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned spring 2020. That's also when you're doing. You're on the Julia Child. Foundation, yeah, I'm on right? the I'm on the Julia Child Foundation Advisory Board, and we're doing a a, a, a wonderful event yeah. uh, in March of, of 2020. Uh, uh, Julia, it was an event that uh, was done every other year up at Bacara, mm -hmm. but it was a very small sort of uh, uh, event. Uh, Bacara is a wonderful resort, obviously, but it doesn't have the population that we have uh, in in Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. and so the event will be more focused in in downtown Santa Barbara mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll, we'll be able to get a lot more players involved as far as restaurants and hotels and a lot more players involved as far as people coming up to town and saying, wow, look, this is, I can yeah. go to this tasting with uh, uh, Jose Andres, you know, and, or I can go to this panel with a, with a, a group of famous winemakers and there's, there'll just be a lot of uh, uh, wonderful, um, wonderful uh, events and, and, and things going on. It's twofold. One, we obviously want to keep uh, Julia's name uh, oh, yes. alive and, and, and well in the in the in the consciousness of of Americans. But it also, you know, there's the foundation uh, uh, provides scholarships and and uh, grants to people who are uh, in the culinary arts and and, and promoting uh, gastronomy 
and that was Julia's. Oh. That was Julia's whole purpose in leaving her entire estate to the foundation, and wow. um, it's run very ably by a, a gentleman here in town named Eric Spivey, mm -hmm. who's the director of the Julia Child Foundation, and and um, you know we all missed her. She was a yes. wonderful asset to our community, oh, yes, and and was. Uh, it was interesting. Yesterday, I was there. There's a um, there's a documentary uh, being done, which they interviewed me for, um, and I was. They asked me if I had any old photographs, and I was. I have so many old photographs of Julia Child up at our oh, house, and wow. and she just, you know, she was larger than life, and and she's larger than me. Yeah. <laughs> she's a tall woman, and there's all these pictures of her. Just you know, she was tough. She just oh hugged me and just like, oh, I love it. Big bear hugs. So I was, oh. I've been pulling all these pictures of Julia out of my old, oh. my old photographs, and uh, but this will be a great event for our community, yeah. uh, great event for um, the Julia Child Foundation, which we can continue our our cause, and. Um, uh, the city's very, very behind it. I know the bank. Oh, I'm so glad. The bank yes, is behind American it, which is, Riviera Bank is, is, is totally behind it. Yep, yes. which is fantastic. Absolutely. And, uh, and I just, I, I think the what what part of that whole uh, question you ask about was what, what's going on in Santa Barbara. I think mm -hmm. there's a, I think we're at a at a an interesting point in time, which we which happens, uh, you know, you know the the. the the world is a uh, is cyclical, and we yes. have our ups and downs. But certainly, right now in Santa Barbara, with the the quality of the restaurants that we have, and the new young chefs, the markets that we have for for food and what people are growing, and the the abundance that's available to us from both the land and the sea, and the quality of the wines after these many years, as the vines get older and and we're getting better at our crafts. Um, and and just the the dedication of, of of Santa Barbarians to supporting local wine and local food and local yes. chefs and it's just we've it's a, it's just a it's a bit of a renaissance right now and things mm -hmm. are things are really good I mean the, the whole the whole so scene is really good wow. and I, I think that it's recognized it's being recognized not only by our community but it's being recognized by the national community that's great that is so good to hear. Is there anything else, Doug, that you would like to share with us? Um, I think I've done a lot of shameless self-promotion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. I, I appreciate no, the so opportunity. you're so knowledgeable. This uh, is great. But uh, yeah, we certainly would love people to come visit our, our tasting rooms. And the winery is now open to the public on weekends in Buellton. So you can come up on Saturday and oh. Sunday. And uh, it's a very good visit because we do barrel tastings and, and the like. Um, but uh, you know, we really appreciate this community and the support that we've been we've been given, and um, we just there's I I can't say anything else except thank you very wow. much for inviting me to do this. Well, Doug, it's been an absolute pleasure, and it's just great to hear all of your experiences and your expertise. I learned a lot from this okay. from this interview. <laughs> I really did. So thank you. Thank you.